Do you want to learn how a resident can save over 60% of their income for retirement and not live off ramen? Well, you're about to find out how. Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. I'm really excited to bring to you today's guest, who's a fourth year radiology resident and saves more than 60% of his resident salary towards his retirement. He's contributing the max to his 403B, his 457, his IRA, and his HSA, all as a resident. It's just amazing. Today we're talking with Bo from futureproofmd.com. He runs a great blog one that I am currently a sponsor of as I like it so much. And I think he's putting out some really awesome content and some great info. Bo wants to inspire, and I think I can safely say he is inspiring physicians to pay attention to their finances and to really get in the habit of paying yourself first. We chat a ton on this, as well as the importance of tracking and calculating your net worth in our show today. I think it's extremely important. So I put together a freebie, some exclusive content created solely for the financial residency community on how to organize all of your accounts and assist you in calculating your net worth. And as we talk throughout the podcast, calculating your net worth is extremely important. And in my opinion, it's the best way to analyze how successful you are at achieving your financial goals and really validating what you're doing correct. It's more powerful than just tracking investment returns. It's something that you can control and at every action, And every purchase and every decision you make can positively or negatively affect your net worth. The more comfortable you become with this concept, the highly likelihood that you're going to master your finances and you're going to take control over your financial actions and your financial life. So once again, this freebie is is really created exclusively for the financial residency group and the community. And it's, it's free to join. It's on Facebook. So I encourage everyone listening here to get on Facebook join the hundreds of members already in there and in the community. You know, we have a unifying goal. It's to learn more about personal finances so we can make more well-informed decisions that allow us to live our great life. Here is this week's digestible tip. Today's digestible tip is to go through your employer benefits package. You know, it's that 80, 90, 100 page document that you didn't really bother reading when you started that new job. Yeah, that packet. Or it's a PDF depending on how it was sent to you. And I just don't want to torture you by telling you, hey, go read this long thing. It's actually got some really beneficial stuff in there. And it's super important to you and your finances. So read through it. Make sure you're taking advantage of all the benefits that you're given. Let me just tell you a quick story of why I'm telling you to do this. So I had a friend and she just completely ignored the stuff her work sent her. She thought, hey, everything's set up. Everything looks good. And, you know, and quote unquote, she looked it up when the annual benefit renewals kind of came around and thought everything was static and the same and it was okay. Well, as I went through her benefits package with her, she didn't know that she had the ability to put about $18,000 away into her 457 that her employer was offering. She had plenty of money left over to do this, but she wasn't taking advantage of it. Well, why is it such a big deal? Well, thinking about it, if she had been putting the max away in that plan for the five years she had already been there or give or take, she'd be having nearly $100,000 in contributions in a tax-deferred account. 
and that's just without growth. It's probably be significantly higher since we've had some really good returns in the past five years in the market. Really thinking about it, that amount might have been enough for her to retire a year or two earlier. I mean, that's some big stuff here. So important information is located in that benefits package, and I encourage you to go check out yours today. Bo, welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Ryan. My name is Bo Liu. I'm a Chinese immigrant. I am a medical resident in the specialty of radiology. I'm a fourth year, which means I'm one year away from finishing training. And next year, I will be pursuing an interventional radiology fellowship at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. My other job, if you will, is running Future Proof MD, is a financial blog for medical trainees, including medical students, comma residents, and fellows. Awesome. It's a great blog. I'm excited to have you on. And like I mentioned, I am a sponsor for that just for, for some disclosure. Bo, I want you to talk a little bit, if the listeners haven't been to your blog site, just a little bit more about what you talk about, what they can find there. And then we can talk a little bit more on the challenges of running a blog while you're still a resident. Um, yes. My blog tackles the general personal finance. I talk about a variety of different topics, anywhere from student loan management, investing to retirement planning. But I tend to focus on the topics that concern young medical trainees, medical students, residents, and fellows specifically. So a big part of what I talk about is student loan management and investing, especially investing while you don't have a lot of income and you have a low net worth. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I can think back to when my wife was a resident and I barely saw her, much less would think that her running up her own blog and a successful blog with really awesome content is next to impossible. Yeah, how, how do you do it? It's a challenge day in, day out, really. Um, I'm constantly looking for time to sit down and write, to edit, to put out things that I think are going to be not only relevant, but also interesting. And as you know, there's a lot of people that do this really well. The White Coat Investor, the Physician on Fire, a variety of bloggers are very good at putting content that are relevant to medical professionals in a very relatable way. So I just hope to offer my personal take on the different topics. And I tend to write a little bit more overview, a more generalized approach articles to give people an introductory lesson, if you will, something that could be very complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons that I liked having you on the show here is the show is really providing a foundation of financial education that physicians really didn't receive while in training. And your blog is almost an extension of that. You, that that's really what you've set out to do. And, and you do get in the details on, on some of your stuff and you track your net worth and you provide a lot of insight to people. So you, you aren't necessarily generalized, but you do have a really good foundation of information for people that I think is super beneficial. It's one of the reasons why I've definitely sponsored your site. I love what you're you're doing. To kind of jump into the stuff that you discuss, you track your net worth publicly. Why do you do that? I mean, I know there's some physician bloggers out there that do that, but not really physician bloggers, especially letting you know their name and all that. Why did you end up doing that? Well, I think there's a lot of benefits to blogging anonymously. To me, I actually started out that way. When I first started tracking my net worth publicly, I had some people who are very close to me who told me not to do that and all the potential dangers of doing so. And I put it on hold for about a year. 
But after a while, I said to myself, hey, I have nothing to hide. And this also helps me show my readers and other people who come and visit my blog that I am practicing what I preach. I'm by no means perfect. I constantly make mistakes with money. And, you know, this also gives them kind of a proof of what I'm preaching and what I'm going through in my daily life so they can follow along. And if I inspire other people to do the same, I hope they will do that. And they may not desire to publicize their net worth, but I hope I get people started in thinking about their net worth. I love that. I love transparency. It's it's really how I've built my my practice at Physician Wealth. And, and I love the fact that you are providing the transparency to your readers. You mentioned that you hope to inspire physicians to to track their net worth. What are the benefits of tracking your net worth? Like I, I know that there's sites out there that tell you to do it and advisors do it for you and, and all this, but from a, a physician yourself, why tell other physicians or hope to inspire them to track their own net worth? Well, I think as physicians, we are very goal-oriented people. Every step of our lives, we've had a very objective goal, you know, get into medical school, get into residency, get out of fellowship, get at that first job. And almost everything has a discrete target. And unfortunately, financial independence is one of those things that doesn't always come with a discrete number. And that number is going to be different for every single person out there. So you, you kind of put your finger on the pulse of your financial well-being, and that's the net worth tracking part of it. And you do that periodically so you know where you are, so you can get a better idea of how you're going to get to the future that you desire. And if you could, just on a high level, just can you let the listeners know how they could start about tracking their net worth, what tools maybe they could use? Or I know that you've, you track it pretty detailed and, and provide that detailed posts, but can you just give them a little insight on how they could start? Yeah, at the fundamental level, your net worth is basically what you own subtracted out by what you owe. So basically assets minus debts, and then that's how you get to your net worth. Unfortunately, the biggest part is trying to get people to understand where their assets are and what their debts are, because it takes time to sit down and gather all that information. Most medical trainees will have at least one type of debt, and that's student loans. That's easy for them to gather. But a lot of the times people forget that all the other bills are technically debts too. You know, for example, your car loans, you have a mortgage or your house loan, insurance, all those things, all those commitments are essentially debts. And then also there's assets that you don't remember. Not too many young medical trainees will have a lot of assets, but over time you should be building that asset number up to the point where you start to approach net worth zero and eventually positive and go further on. Yeah, it's a common theme that I kind of see when I bring clients on is we start talking about just their accounts and we start looking at like, where do you bank? We'll start easy. Where do you bank? What kind of accounts do you have? And needless to say, it always comes up, oh, I've got that account there and I've got these three accounts over at this bank. And then it's, okay, well, let's talk about investments. Oh, I don't have any investments. Okay. Well, did you have a 403B in residency? Yeah. Okay, well, that's an investment account. And then, and then as you keep going down the list and, oh, well, that, that account over there and, oh, yeah, I've got this insurance. You know, it's just, it kind of pops up. It's hard to remember everything. And financial lives, they get challenged and difficult quickly. So it's important to know what your assets are. And in the debt column, I'd also like to say that if you had credit card debt, that's especially where that would go into that side. So one of the things you kind of jump into 
is the concept of paying yourself first. And I'm a huge believer in this. I love the concept. I do it myself. I recommend it to clients. So it's one of the things you've, you've definitely talked about on your site. Can we just kind of jump in and talk about paying yourself first and maybe explain a little bit that you have written to your readers? Yeah, of course. So pay yourself first is basically a different way of thinking about managing income and expenses. I abbreviated PYSF because I like to talk about another four-letter abbreviation that starts with P and ends with LF. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But the idea is that instead of uh, committing your income first to all the liabilities, for example, all the different bills, you commit that to yourself first and to your future self is to, to be specific. And essentially what that means is when your income comes in every two weeks, every month, however often you get paid, you have certain numbers, certain percentages allotted out for your investments and retirement planning. A very basic concept, all it is, is prioritizing those two things ahead of all the other commitments you have. And it's just, it's basically a simple mind trick that you have to trick yourself into thinking, but it's immensely helpful when it comes to long-term investing and building net worth. And so let's kind of go a little bit further on that. Can you give us an example of, of paying yourself first, saying an accountant, and how you would basically do that? So for me, I'll, I'll just use my own personal example. Perfect. Um, I have access to certain retirement plans through my employer as a resident. So the plans I have access to include a 403B, which is similar to a 401k if you work for a for-profit company. I have access to a 457B, which is similar to a nonprofit slash government-sponsored 401k, if you will. Um, I have access to, on the individual side, to the individual retirement plan, which is an IRA. And I have access through work through what's called a health savings account, which is a high-deductible health insurance plan. So those things together have a combined limit that's quite high. And in order for me to actually max it out, it's putting quite a strain on my income stream. But luckily for me, as a resident, I can put almost 100% of my income towards that and use the living expenses can come from my other income source, uh, including moonlighting, the blog, and also I have built up some savings over time as well. So those different plans give me a dollar amount that I put aside every two weeks, and they automatically go into those accounts. So I never see them to begin with. And that takes care of the pay yourself first. Perfect. Perfect example. So you touched on a couple employer-sponsored plans inside there. And I want to go into one in particular. I know you've written about it, but I I get a lot of questions on this one. So it's going to be fun to kind of jump into just real quick. Is the 457, I know you said you started one. And I'd, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you can just kind of give an overview of the of the plan and kind of what your 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 target is with that, and and maybe a little bit of the pros and cons of that plan. The 457. The best way to think of it is think of it as a 401k plan, as additional 401k plan. The difference there is only that nonprofit and government organization can actually sponsor a 457 plan. So if you don't work for a nonprofit or a state and local government, most likely you don't even have access to a 457 plan. But if you do have access, it's actually a great plan. The limit per year currently is 18000 a year, which is the same as a 401k plan. But the benefit of this is the limit is in addition to the 401k or 403b limit you already have. So in essence, if you're willing to invest, you can build a lot of investment very quickly 
that are tax deferred. And we all know how that can add up over time, given the time value of money. A couple of key points to keep in mind about the 457 plan. If you read the literature, the fine print, if you will, often the 457 plan is limited to a select group of management or highly compensated employees. Okay. While nobody defines the select group, it's likely your employer will have some kind of criteria to determine whether or not you can qualify to contribute to a 457. Sometimes this restriction have led to the 457 plan being referred to as a top hat plan. So there are some drawbacks, of course, to the 457 plan, just like any other plan. Probably the biggest one is the fact that it's completely controlled by your employer. So the fact that if your employer goes broke for whatever reason, it is possible for you to lose your 457 plan. Yeah, the insolvency risk of it is probably the biggest detractor from it. But for the most part, you know, it's very similar. And from a high level, just think of it almost as an extension of your 403B, allowing you to put an extra 18000 down. And, and you'd hinted at it before, and we're going to jump to it real quick, is the other four-letter word, PSLF, or four-letter acronym, if you will, which is the Public Student Loan Forgiveness. And I know I've talked about this on a prior show and when we jumped into student loans with, with Travis Hornsby. But just to kind of touch on this real quick is if you're putting away 18000 into your 403B and then another 18000 in your 457, that's really lowering your taxable income, which then in turn would make your payments less on your student loans and increase your forgiveness, correct? I believe so. That's another benefit of being on the public service loan forgiveness plan is that there are certain things you could do to make your income very low. And these are kind of two things that we just talked about here. Yeah. And are, is that what you're, you're personally doing? Or you know, do you have student debt? I do. I actually have the typical amount of student debt. I have over six figures, under 200000 so that's good. Pretty but, good. I, I'd, I'd say, the, and sorry to interrupt, but the average client that I work with has about 290000 in debt. So, so under two hundred is, uh, is is great. Good job. Yeah, very, yeah. I mean, to me, that's still quite a lot. The, the benefit of the public service loan forgiveness, you can read a lot about it online. And currently, it's been in the news recently for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons, one of which is the fact that people are talking it would be done away with. But as far as for the people who are looking to enter into repayment right now and the, the students who are just graduating, this is still a very good plan. I've written quite a bit about it. And if there's any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer the questions. Uh, awesome. And and I know you wrote a really good post on payee and repay uh, or pay and repay, however you want to say them, that I will link to you in the show notes that I, sickening as it is, thoroughly enjoyed. I thought it was a great detailed post on that. So I'll definitely put that inside there. Kind Thank of, you, Ryan. Oh, absolutely. Kind of switching gears here a little bit. I, I want to go more in depth a little bit on your blog. What other topics do you discuss on the blog that isn't student loans or, or necessarily network tracking and things? What else do you talk about there? I talk a little bit about investment, retirement planning. I talk about insurance. Occasionally, I get on a high horse and uh, go on a soapbox about mm-hmm. medical ethics and healthcare economics. So those are kind of the typical topics. There are also things like income, building wealth. I'm a big gadget junkie. So I talk a lot about 
technology in mm-hmm. the sense that how technology can better help us organize our finance finances. So those those are kind of the the typical things. And and something you do that's rare. And while I don't in- encourage frivolous spending, you do have a deals section on there that I actually have taken advantage of once. I think it was a twenty dollar. If you preload a twenty dollar Amazon card, you got an extra ten bucks. And you know, while that's nothing major, we spend so much money on Amazon and just diapers and all this other stuff for the kids that, uh, you know, free 10 bucks is kind of cool. And just another little way that you can kind of give back to the readers it's, that I do like. So that deal section is pretty neat. Why did you start the deal section? I myself is a pretty big bargain hunter. So I like to purchase quality items, but I very much dislike the concept of paying retail for something. Mm-hmm. So I usually will dig and hunt for a deal before I commit to buying something. And I just thought, hey, maybe somebody else can enjoy the deals I find. And it sounds like uh, <laughs> I have at least one reader who took advantage. Absolutely. So I love Very this. happy about that. Absolutely. I yeah. loved it. It was cool. I mean, anything to do with Amazon and getting free money from Amazon and perks my attention just because we we have two little ones a three-year-old and a one and a half year old and we go through diapers a lot and creams and (laughs) clothes and shoes and little things that they always need and growing out of so i definitely appreciated that one of the things i actually remember that you'd you'd said and i i know we got kind of caught into a little bit more of a tangent but an hsa and that's something that i haven't really talked about on the podcast yet and i would like to kind of go in into that a little bit more if, if you would just kind of what it is and why you're you're doing it. The HSA stands for Health Savings Account, and it is essentially a tax-deferred investment account that is coupled with a health insurance plan called a high-deductible health insurance plan. In an effort to try to decrease the cost of health care and put more cost-sharing onto the consumer, the government basically made these plans into existence so that you can take advantage of this tax-deferred savings vehicle as long as you use it coupled with a high-deductible health plan. I use it as a retirement plan, and the, the reason I do that is the idea is I can put my investments in there while paying out-of-pocket for a health cost during the year, and that health savings account, the money in that account can just grow as an investment. And over time, you know, as we talked about, just like another savings plan, like a 403B or a 401k, over time, it's going to grow, hopefully, and become a substantial amount. And when you do need the money, and when you do withdraw it, there's a few things that are really great. One, if you use that money for health expenditures, it comes out completely tax-free. And if you do decide to just use that money for something else, all you have to do is wait until you're 65 or older, and then it comes out with your regular income tax bracket. So it's, it's a really good plan that some people have talked about it as their stealth IRA. Yeah, it's, it's commonly referred to that. So if you Google stealth IRA, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of info on it. And there's a couple points that you'd, you'd made that I just want to clarify, because sometimes this is maybe the first time or one of the first times that a listener will have heard what a, an HSA is. So what we're saying is, is that you can put the money in pre-tax and, and there's certain limits. And, and let's say that I, I don't have the exact term on me, but it's like 2,500 bucks or something. And you can put that money in and then the investment. So you're investing that money 
will hopefully over time appreciate in value. So it's going to continue to grow tax-free like a taxable IRA or a traditional IRA or a 401k. And then when you pull the money out, let's say 20 years, 30 years from now, and you want to start living off of that income, if you've got the medical or health-related expenses associated that you can pull it out and offset them, that money comes out tax-free. And from what I understand is that if you've kept a receipt for 20 years, that you can actually be paying yourself back for that expense that happened 20 years ago and still have it come out tax-free. So it's, it's a Ex- really powerful tool. Yep, exactly. And that's what I'm doing. I, I love it. I love it. We actually have been fortunate to, to be on some really awesome healthcare plans with my wife. She's type 1 diabetic, so we have a lot of costs coming in with insulin and pumps and supplies and all sorts of stuff for her. But um, you know, if we didn't have that, that would be definitely an option that we would be exploring because anything, I don't think there's anything else that's um, triple tax-free. You get tax, you get to, to have it pre-tax, so it lowers your income the year you put the money in. It grows tax-free with your investments over time. And then if it comes out for a qualified healthcare expense, which there's a whole laundry list of what qualifies, then you get to, to pull it out tax-free. It's, it's an amazing account, and, and definitely people are referring it to as a uh, stealth IRA. So that's, that's neat that you're using it and they have the ability and, and the foresight to be able to say, hey, this is probably a good concept. I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah, and you, you bring up a really good point, right, is that if you are someone who has a lot of healthcare expenditures, then perhaps an HSA isn't for you because if you're not going to be able to let that money stay in the account and appreciate over time, as in you have to pay medical bills every month or every two months, then it's probably not as beneficial to you. Yeah. And, and, and this is back to the same point. I, I, I think I'm almost saying this one time a show now, so I probably should like coin the phrase, but personal finance is personal, right? What works for Bo doesn't work for me and my family, and it might not work for your family, or it might. And, you know, you just have to do the, the analysis and educate yourself on what is actually available and out there. And, and this show is, is going to help you get to that point. And futureproofmd.com is definitely going to help you get there as well. So I definitely encourage you guys to, to read what Bo is putting out there because it's some really good stuff. And that's what this is for. I mean, this is really to give back to, to the communities to help educate physicians and provide that education you, you really didn't receive in training. And now it's time for the Curbside Consult first question is, what financial advice would you give a new resident? Pay attention. That's the advice I would give to any learner, no matter what the topic is. For medicine, yes. For finances, definitely, yes. And I think we hit on the topic earlier when we started the talk. You said like a lot of the times when you sit down with a client, they might not even know where their accounts are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you pay attention, that won't happen. Absolutely. I love it. And to kind of piggyback on that question, what student loan advice would you give for a new resident? The biggest student loan advice I want to talk about is if you do qualify for a public service employer, then definitely look into public service loan forgiveness. You don't have to sign up for it if you decide that's not what you want to do, but you should at least consider it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And I, a common mistake that I see is people who want to qualify for it, who will end up working for one of those 501c3s that go into forbearance all of residency. And those payments, even a $0 payment, if they factor in your fourth year medical school and, and you have zero income and you have a zero payment, that still counts part of that 120 qualified payments. 
pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Pay attention. Exactly. And and one of the things that often is misunderstood about the public service loan forgiveness is a lot of people think that when it comes to the end of 10 years and your balance gets forgiven, you're going to have to pay income taxes on the forgiven amount. Uh, yeah. That happened to not be the case in this particular instance. It does apply in a lot of the other income forgiveness schemes, mm-hmm. but not for a public service loan forgiveness. Yeah, if, if they're not going for public student loan forgiveness, but they're going to extend out their, their student loan payments through you know IBR and, and for 25 years, and say 100000 was forgiven, that will be taxed. But for, for public student loan forgiveness, and I know there's been a lot of confusion on this, is that if you're going for public student loan forgiveness and there's 120 qualified payments made, which don't have to be consecutive, that's another common misconception that I've, I've seen a ton of. Let's say that same 100000 was to be forgiven, you will not owe tax on that. Now, that could change. I mean, this administration really doesn't know what they're doing yet with it, and there's so many things that could change. But the people that are already in, that are already grandfathered in, I don't see that ever changing. It's not a bad thing to to pretend like it is and to save like it is, but the likelihood of of that changing is, is pretty low. The last question I have for you, Bo, is what do you think the biggest financial trap is for physicians? Probably... Insurance as an investment vehicle. There's a lot of stuff online about this. Mm-hmm. And what I'm referring to is such things as whole life or universal life or different variations on whole life. And the concept is you buy into this insurance policy and part of that money goes into an investment account and grow your insurance premiums over time. And why not? But a lot of the times when you don't realize is you, instead of having that money go directly towards investment, a big chunk of it is going towards fees, management fees, whatever other fees you may have. So that's something that is often sold to physicians. And I don't want to say the people who sell them are bad people per se, but I think if somebody does come to you with one of these insurance as an investment vehicle plans, it's worth thinking a little longer before you sign on. Absolutely. And I I actually think that was a great answer. I tend to say insurance is insurance. Investments are investments. Never mix the two. And I know plenty of people, plenty of other advisors out there that sell insurance. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. You know, it's the way that they've decided to build their business. It's definitely not the way that I've decided to build mine. I don't sell any products. It's fee only advice. But that I definitely have to say, I've, I've had several physician families that have come into the door here and said, you know, my investments are costing me too much money. Can you take a look? And that's usually a big red flag of what insurance were you sold? And then, you know, doing a, a little analysis and seeing if that was the best fit for them or not. Yeah. So I, I, I love the answer, Bo. That was, that was a great answer. So with that, Bo, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you, buddy, and keep up the great work you're doing. And just one more time, let them know where they can find you and, and more about what you're doing. Yeah. Come visit me at futureproofmd.com. Awesome. That's futureproofmd.com, everyone. Check him out. That was such a great conversation with Bo. And Bo, thank you again so much for being on the show. You're such an inspiration and what hard work and dedication looks like. And it's amazing how hard he hustles to build these streams of side income to not only support his income as a resident, but allows him to maximize all these tax deferred benefits that are available to him, which turns out that 
it allows him to reduce his student loan payments as he's trying to maximize that amount to be forgiven using the public service loan forgiveness. So with overwhelming feedback I've received in recent weeks, next week I'll be airing another curbside consult. It'll be five more questions from you, you know, the listeners, and those in the financial residency community. If you have a question that you'd like to get answered on the show, I encourage you to go to financial residency and click on the record button that says record your question. I'll do my best to get it answered on the show or during one of the upcoming Facebook Live Q&As. 2018 is going to be a great year for the community. There's going to be tons of exclusive content created for you guys. I'll be doing Q&As. There'll be more of these freebies, articles, podcasts, videos, and a ton more. So come find us on Facebook by searching for Financial Residency Community in the group section or come to financialresidency.com. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode is ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.